2: Hey, everybody, tonight we're debating Christianity versus atheism, and we are starting right now with AP's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Apostate Prophet. The floor is all yours.
3: Uh, thank you so much, James, for having me. Thank you so much, uh, Stuart, for uh, agreeing to this uh, debate, to this conversation. Uh, I just noticed that I haven't uh, turned on any timer. I should probably know how far I am. Uh, I already am because I usually lose chunk of time, but yeah um <clears throat> okay, here we are so um today we want to uh, talk about the belief in God and the um, and atheism versus Christianity. I think uh, what you will hear from me will be very different from what what you usually hear from um, atheists in a discussion between Christianity and atheism, and that's because uh, my background and my goals in this regard are quite different. I am not a uh, regular atheist or uh, anti-theist who is on a mission to uh, debunk or destroy or refute and disprove religion. I am not here to disprove uh, Christianity. I think my main mission here is to uh, figure out why a free thinker and an atheist like myself would, um, why I should accept Christianity as my religion. Now, I come from a very different background from uh, what you usually see here. I am from a Muslim background. I didn't grow up with Christianity. I didn't really grow up around Christianity. I did grow up in in Germany, which is a a post-Christian or Christian society um, within a very religious Muslim family. I lived in Turkey for quite a while, and my parents are uh, extremely religious Muslim people. If you ask them about different beliefs, it will be very obvious to them. Islam is, of course, the only religion that is true. Anything else is not even a question. I mean, it's not even something that you argue. It's not even something that comes up, whether Christianity or a different religion is true or not. It's all very obvious. This is a no-brainer to them. Islam is, of course, the truth. Anything else is just... uh, perverted, corrupted nonsense. And they feel bad for others, to be honest. And this is the average stance of the average Muslim. Uh, When it comes to me, I, of course, uh, throughout my life, confronted religious beliefs and ended up not believing in the one god which is why i technically call myself an atheist but when i if i today converted to christianity for example and if i shared this development with my parents with my father or my mother or others uh, their reaction would be they would be shocked and all they would think was what went wrong why does our son believe in this strange religion which is of course nonsense Now he will have to uh, go to hell. They will not even think about converting together with me because to them that's obviously nonsense. The issue here is that my parents, like many others, are conditioned by their environments and by many factors that they have no control over into believing in a certain religion that is the best available religion in their own environment, and uh, which was brought down to them, given to them by their ancestors. For them, it is Islam. For them, Christianity is a set. Uh, out of the question. Now, why would I have to believe in Christianity? Why would I end up believing in Christianity? In the world, there are so many different interpretations, so many different philosophies and religious beliefs and ideas, so many explanations of uh, the the origin of the universe, the origin of us, what happens after we die, and so on. Among all of these, Christianity is currently relevant to us because we are uh, in a culture where Christianity is dominant or where it is relevant. Why do I not go for Buddhism, for example? Why do I not go for Taoism, for for different religious ideas, for different philosophical ideas and beliefs? Why is it Christianity? I want to uh, talk about one specific reason why I find it unreasonable to believe in Christianity. This is not very specific. It's actually very uh, vague. I'm sorry for that. But that is uh, that there is simply no convincing reason why I would believe in Christianity. Uh, I care about christianity i study religion it is something that i like and something that i like to think about but when it comes to christianity we are confronted with ancient writings which are uh, disputed very much the authorship of these writings are disputed the books are sampled and ordered in uh, such a way where we are supposed to trust a specific collection, a, sp- a specific narrative about this collection of books. We don't know if the authors of these books are the people that we think they are. We don't actually know who these people are. We don't know, even if we did know these people, these are some random people that we have no reason to trust. We don't trust people around us, why would we trust them? The the scriptures uh, tell us about a lot of things the vast majority of them are not verifiable. So we have to trust certain people who in ancient times in the past uh wrote and created certain scriptures, and then we are to believe in their religion, which they preach, and thereby determine uh our entire life and base our entire life, the rest of our life choices, on this specific idea, on the specific decision to believe in that certain religion. Why would we do that? Do we have any reason to believe in that? Do we have miracles in the world? We have miracles which we see in those uh in those books, in those scriptures, but miracles that uh supposedly happened but which cannot be verified miracles don't happen today we don't see uh we don't see very strange things happening like a severed leg of somebody coming down from the sky and attaching itself magically to to a human body miracles as we have them today are so uh are Very small things like personal experience or somebody with an illness who is healed, nothing that the public can uh, together observe and verify and uh, point at as a miracle, most of them are simply up to personal opinions and personal beliefs why would i choose christianity at the time of christianity when christianity was on the rise there was a different religious belief on the rise which was uh, manichaeism for example a religion which had a completely different understanding of uh, the cosmos of the world around us and of good and evil of morality altogether like many other dualistic or gnostic beliefs Uh, The view in Manichaeism was not that there is uh, the one God who wants to save us and we just have to believe in him and follow him and all that. It was more a system of the 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 greater good side and the the lesser evil side or maybe they were even equal in power but there was a struggle between those two going on and we are supposed to disavow the worldly filth and uh know the true light and devote ourselves to that why did we not go with that why would I not believe in something like that for example the evidence that that is true there is no evidence that that is true, but but there's also no evidence that Christianity is true. The only thing that we have is that uh, people like uh, Stuart, not in an offensive way, when I say people like Stuart, it sounds it sounds a little bit offensive, sorry. <laughs> uh, what we have is that uh, people like Stuart and other uh, Christians and Christian apologists will simply tell us, well, Uh, Christianity is true for these and these and these reasons it makes sense but all that requires uh, but what that requires again at the end is a leap of faith we don't actually have clear evidence concrete evidence which shows us the absolute truth that Christianity is true we only rely on certain uh, on lines of reasoning by certain people and in the end we are left to make a leap of faith into believing that Christianity is the true religion now, even if the Christian texts and even if the Christian sources and teachings were highly uh, reliable and verifiable, there is a major problem about uh, the entire concept of uh, the afterlife and uh, God's creation of the of humans, which I have a big uh, problem with, something that I think needs to be solved before we can uh, talk about believing in Christianity or not. Um, The the Christian idea is generally that God created uh, humans for some strange reason. God was the perfect eternal being, the creator. He is perfect by definition. He has a perfect state. And what is perfect? You can't even describe it. Perfect is something that has nothing lacking. And suddenly, out of nowhere, in the middle of nothing, God decides to create humans just because and he apparently creates humans because he wants to create beautiful beings who experience his glory and who feel good things and then he creates uh limited lifetimes for these humans he lets these humans uh do good things and bad things he lets these humans have pleasure and suffer he gives these humans a limited lifetime he keeps himself hidden he sends vague scriptures that can be interpreted in so in so many different ways and then depending on our on on the end of our lives and what we have believed during our lives he then rewards or punishes us what exactly is the point of that and how exactly does that work what is god exactly punishing us rewarding us for didn't he create us in such a way that we would eventually live exactly that specific life that he designed don't we live by our nature by our uh neurological by our environmental conditioning don't we do most of the things that we do in life based on uh factors as explained earlier that are mostly out of our control such as uh our nature how our mind works what our intelligence levels are how uh The religious beliefs in our environment are what culture we are born into. If my father, if I today, as said at the beginning, converted to Christianity, and I told my father about why I converted to Christianity, uh, and if he then found that ridiculous and sad, and he rejected Christianity and rejected me as well, would he be held accountable for that? If not, why not? He was very much familiar with what Christianity is, just as maybe not as much as i am but to a certain extent if he cannot be blamed because he didn't know enough about christianity then where exactly do we stop how do we judge whether somebody will be uh, you know will be rewarded or punished if there is no reward or punishment then why exactly does this whole thing exist why is it important for me to believe in christianity if if uh, the afterlife if hell or heaven depends on our belief or, or disbelief, then why do we have to wait until we live these empty lives in this giant universe and then we die with the belief or disbelief that we were conditioned to, and then we are judged by the God who created us as the beings who are weak, who, are, uh, who have limited intelligence and who will eventually end up going with whatever their nature uh, gives them. Uh, moreover, The issue is, according to the Christian belief, God wants us to be, he wants us to be saved. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to experience eternal pleasure. He doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to burn. He doesn't want us to be punished. He doesn't want these things. But isn't God almighty? Isn't God the uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, good entity? Why didn't he simply create humans in such a way that they would not uh, suffer, that they would not go to hell. Is this one of the conditions of creation? He, the objection is that he created us with free will and uh, being wrong, making mistakes, and, and eventually being punished is part of our free will. This is It's part of the deal. But does that mean that God had no other choice. Does that mean that uh, it was out of his power? Does that mean God has to live with the consequences of his creation, which he himself chose? Does that mean God doesn't like suffering? God doesn't like evil. God doesn't like torture and punishment, but it is part of the deal. And since God decided to create because he found it so beautiful, unfortunately, he has to deal with the consequences of also punishing people and also making them suffer is that does that really make sense it almost looks like there is a logical contradiction here in fact if i was uh, let's take an example of me helping my children if i knew that my children are going to go through uh, something terrible i would give them the freedom i would eventually try to as much as possible alleviate their suffering and despite giving them their free choices eventually help them out and give them eternal happiness because that's what i want because i hate seeing my my children suffer i wouldn't be i wouldn't think well i want them to be free i want them to live with the consequences of their choices although i really really don't want them to i want to see them suffer and i won't just let them suffer i will save them If punishment is not there, if you want to go for a Christian uh, explanation, a Christian alternative where there is no eternal punishment, no eternal suffering, if there is no such thing, if there is no eternal torture, then why exactly would I believe in Christianity? What exactly is the purpose? If Christianity is uh, pragmatic, if it's a good system, if it works, if the morals of Christianity are good, if they are cool, then... uh, (laughs) why exactly is that is that reason enough to believe in christianity i could just as well go on with my life as a skeptic atheist as a free thinker simply stick with those things that i know for certain are true instead of limiting my worldview to a certain religion which existed uh from a very uh distant past and has gone on with the same religious beliefs and the same doctrines that will limit the way i think why would i not instead open my mind Uh, free my mind, only believe in that which I can for certain verify and live my life based on rationality, based on the human condition and the human experience. I simply see no reason to believe in Christianity and no convincing evidence which would uh, lead me to the conclusion that Christianity is true and that it is a better alternative to atheism.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, a positive Profit, and I want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics, and we want to let you know no matter what walk of life you are from, whether you be Christian or atheist or one of the many strange creatures in between, we hope you feel welcome here. We're glad you're here. And also, Elliot, saw your question in the chat. The song that we use at the beginning and end of the streams is World Goes Wild by Above Envy. So with that, we are going to jump into Stuart's opening statement. Stuart, thanks for being here. We're thrilled to have you back. And the floor is all yours.
4: James, always an honor. You both, James, especially you in that fly jacket, are looking fantastic on a Friday night. And I'm going to start with, I think AP hit some some good points I want to head towards this idea of God. I like that atheism is in play here, so I'm not doing all the, the heavy lifting this time. Typically, I'm I'm carrying the uh, the the rather, rather large stones like Sisyphus up up a mountain, ready to just rock me. Um, so I appreciate the the boldness, the courage, on AP's part. I would start with saying God relates to us like Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. In the sense of, he is the author of life. He has a character that came down to this world named Jesus Christ. In so doing, he has revealed himself to us in a way where we could actually know him. Now, physically, we don't have that opportunity today, obviously. But by his Holy Spirit, he speaks to our hearts. By understanding him in the Gospels, getting to know him. Because you clearly can get to know him in the Gospels. Like, like, it's just clear. him And his personhood. And then growing in trust. If you look in the Webster's Dictionary, there's two definitions when it comes to faith, one being basically kind of what AP was alluding to in terms of the no evidence piece, but then the other one being counting up the evidence and putting your trust in an object or a person. And the Christian faith is all about counting up the evidence, putting your trust in an object, but specifically a person, Jesus Christ. So more specifically, I believe Christianity is true and i believe the evidence is there for a few different reasons and a a couple of them tonight will be one who jesus is as a person so if we do believe that god literally walked on this earth and interacted with human beings we have to understand that this this has to be a good god most likely our experience we want goodness we imagine goodness so his character you know it's his i think his character is unmatched I think it's exactly what we'd expect if we expected God to come to earth and his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, he stops the racial riot in Luke 4. You know, the Gentiles are about to just get wiped out and Jesus almost gets stoned to death for stopping this racial riot. You think about the woman at the well in John 4, where he's crossing all di- different types of boundaries, especially gender boundaries with this prostitute or the prostitute who goes in and he she ends up, washing his feet and she's referred to as the woman of the city which basically means a prostitute he's dealing with women who are considered total scum and if they were prostitutes then they were beyond scum and yet jesus is lifting them up in just powerful ways uh, he you know find a time that he spoke out of place i can't find anywhere in the gospels where he spoke out of place he, he never said or did anything wrong at least it appears to me he hung out with the racial political moral outsiders nonstop. He was never hanging out with, you know, he was never doing any type of social climbing. Let's just say that. He doesn't scold people for unbelief. There's many different examples. You know, Jairus, for example, says, Jesus, I I do believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus doesn't scold him for that. He says, okay, he has doubt. He encourages almost doubt, it seems. And David in the Psalms doubting the entire way through, all 150 chapters. It's pretty powerful. And that speaks to me in my life, because like AP, I've struggled with doubt whatever the worldview has been. And I've dipped into different worldviews, not just Christianity. So I love that he encourages doubt. And the doubting Thomas is another good example. So how about the lepers? You know, they were permanently socially distanced, we could say. Their entire lives, they weren't touched. Nobody touched them. And Jesus not only spends time with them, but he actually touches them. He Obviously, it's good news for the poor. He came to earth for the poor. He has a type of freedom that I don't think, I think it's unmatched. You know, he was never enslaved to who's the in and out party. When we think about all of our political divisions today. It's, it's like I get my identity and my self-worth from being in a certain group and by shouting down another group and demonizing them. Jesus never even came close to putting himself in categories or a certain type of labels in order to say that group over there is the ones we have to demonize. But he absolutely was harsher on the religious types, the Pharisees, than he was those who were perhaps more broken or looked down upon in society. So he he, he basically scolded those who were religious and was gracious to those who were not religious over and over again. So how, how about his wisdom? I mean, you and I have temperaments. Some of us are more outspoken. Some of us are more introverted. I think these things are habitual. It gets us into trouble. For, for me, my temperament, to anger gets me into trouble in in a many myriad of different ways but i i think look at jesus i mean again the character if this is god i think the wisdom and character line up and so i mean another example is his healing powers how about how he calls people out once he heals them so the woman with the internal bleed for example after he heals her he says all right stand up tell everybody what just happened because he thinks that's healthy for her. And sure enough, you see in the story that it is. She, she experiences incredible joy. But then just a few chapters later, he's talking to a, a deaf mute and takes him away after the healing and he heals him in private. So, so there's, they're nuanced examples. It's not just the same same fabricated thing, perhaps every single time. And then his beauty as well. He combines traits that you never find together in the same person. He has this type of high majesty where he's Lord of all, and that's his claim, and that's what people, many people believe him to be. But then he also has this incredible humility where he's getting down in the dumps with people. He balances justice and grace, which we need in our culture today. I think you have many examples. I could name many, but I don't want to get political, where it's all about just justice and stay angry at that people group, no matter what, because they did X, Y, and Z to your people group. Or it's cheap grace. It's like, ah eh, just overlook it. Who, who cares? Jesus balanced this with justice, truth, but then also tremendous grace and forgiveness. It was just, it's unimaginable how he did it. So kind of he also had this transcendent self-sufficiency and yet entire reliance on God the Father, where he was self-sufficient and yet reliant on God. But Then he also has, was tender without weakness. You know, tremendously tender. I can't think of any other character, especially who claimed to be God or, or was a gigantic leader who also had this tenderness, but at the same time was not weak. He had endless amounts of power. All right, now Jesus' claims. AP, coming from a Muslim background, I'm sure has dealt with Jesus' claims quite a bit. So I think he assumed authority to forgive all sins. It's clear throughout scripture. I think he claimed that he alone could could give eternal life. I think he claimed to be the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He assumed the authority to judge the world. He said he would You know, you would primarily be judged in the end based off of your attitude towards him, he said, versus just your good deeds, bad deeds, and then punishment. I claim the right to receive worship. So there's examples where angels were worshipped, and yet they said, no, 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 (laughs) we are not to be worshipped. There's examples where the Apostle Paul was worshipped. He tears his clothes and says, how dare you? Do not worship me. Jesus just takes it. Every single time he is worshipped. So he called himself the son of God. And in John and other places, in that Jewish culture, the son was equal to the father. So he was the only son we get. and So everything the father had would come, obviously, to the son. So there was that type of understanding of equality. You think of John 5.18, the son of God. Again, he's called there. Then John 8, before Abraham was, I am. So Yahweh, I am that I am. Before Abraham ever existed, I am. And then what happens? Again, people try and stone him. People are always trying to stone Jesus for these claims. So if you had a man who's kind of making up these types of claims, he's either obviously a charlatan or mentally deranged. But then you have to look at his life. He has this incredible character. Again, there's beauty to his life. So either he is who he said he is or he's a fool. But again, we see his character is no fool. That's, That's for sure. I think we can all, there's a consensus on that. Or a charlatan, or you explain, again, how do you explain his character? Or he's just a great teacher. Well, what about his claims? I mean, he's just schizophrenic. He can't just be a great teacher. I hear so many people say that, but it doesn't make any sense with his claims, that is. And so what are you, you going to do with this Jesus? Either you're going to worship him or you're going to hate him. There's no neutral ground based off of his character and his claims. And that's how people responded to him in those times. Today, you have many respond to him in that way, but the majority of people I see respond to him in this kind of neutral, vanilla type of way where it's like, eh, I don't know, maybe a teacher, and I just pretend like he didn't make any claims. So, again, it's the whole legend, liar, lunatic, lord, and you have to figure that out. And I think part of what we're going to try and do tonight is, is figure that out, at least on my end. So, they worship Jesus right up the bat. you know early on things did not change. A single time in church history, Uh, it was very early in the second century that these creeds, the Nicene, the Apostles' Creed, they were borrowing incredibly from the Pauline creeds. So so you think about Philippians chapter 2, you think about 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. So again, it is so hard to unearth these. I find it totally impossible. But Paul's letters even were, were written before John was claiming deity of Christ, because a lot of the Muslims I've debated, they've said, OK, well, John is John. Yes, there's there's seven I am statements, but it's just in John. Well, then you got to deal with Paul's letters. They were written before John, and they're all about the deity of Christ. And then Mark chapter two, your sins are forgiven, he says to the paralytic. Boom. Another example, just another example of he's forgiving people's sins. And everybody in the room that day, when they saw that and heard that, knew he was claiming to be God. There was no doubt in anybody's mind. And then lastly, the resurrection. I think, firstly, eyewitnesses, they weren't hallucinating. Whether it was the 12, whether it was Peter, whether it was the 500, you can't have mass hallucinations. And I think even secular scholars within the last 10 years have moved in that direction, where they've said, absolutely, someone like Peter had an experience where he claimed to have seen Christ, and so he had this type of experience. And even secular scholars, basically, a consensus there as well. And then the worldview change overnight. This one is, is the most important to me. When I'm when I've been over to Rome, for example, it is amazing to go to the Colosseum, for example, and listen about the six hundred thousand Christians that have been killed in a single Colosseum over a couple hundred years and to have one Christian leading the tour saying, it all makes perfect sense. The puzzle fits together beautiful. They didn't just die for a hoax. But then you have another woman who's secular and I turned to her and I'm like, okay, so so what happened here? How do you have so early, so many Christians being killed for possibly something they just made up or possibly something they were brainwashed for? And she didn't even want to get into it, but she, it's not like she was angry. It was just she was very confused, and she was like, yeah, we don't really – I don't know. And there's this lot of I don't know. And I couldn't find anybody, at least that I was interacting with, who said, oh, yeah, here's what happened. And so I have the same thing, where it's Jews overnight became Christians. So many of these Jews, the secular ones, would have said there's no eternity. Many of these Jews, though, would have said, yes, there is eternity, but – there's going to be a resurrection that is a resurrection for all, not simply for one man. And that was the quagmire that they all of a sudden were in. And so they were going to be the least of all people groups to actually have believed this to have occurred. And so you see this worldview change overnight. And then finally the empty tomb. We know critics who deny the fact of the empty tomb have felt compelled to argue against the historicity of Of even the burial and they don't want to do that so so again we have the early eyewitness accounts but i think the independent accounts that you have in the gospels i mean historians consider they've hit total you know historical pay dirt when you have two independent accounts the same event we have six maybe even more than six the simplicity of mark's account i love i think that just gives you the nuts and bolts nothing like say for example the apocrypha Nothing is has some type of theological commentary. No, it just gives you the history, and that's how history is written. Then the Jewish polemic, the early Jewish polemic, presupposes the fact of the empty tomb in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. And post mortem appearances, you have Peter, the disciples. My favorite is James. Brother Jesus pissed in the same toilet as Jesus all life long, said, yeah, right, you are not the Messiah. But then he encounters Jesus with the empty tomb, Face to face, we get from Josephus that he ends up dying for his faith. What happens, according to tradition, he's proclaiming, after being the head, the head dog of the Sanhedrin, he's proclaiming from the rooftop that, hey, my brother actually is the Messiah. And they go up, grab him, mug him, throw him off the top of the temple, he hits the ground, and then they go down and beat him to death. That type of incredible desire to spread the faith after seeing this historical event, was really what began the Christian faith.
2: You got it. Thank you very much, Stuart, for that opening statement as well. And want to let you know, folks, big one coming up one week from now, in particular next Saturday. As you can see in the bottom right of your screen, these two new fellows who are very big influencers will be debating the controversial topic of human rights versus Sharia law. So it is going to be a juicy one. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on it. This is going to be epic. That's next Saturday. And so with that, thank you both AP and Stuart. We're going to jump into open conversation and want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description. If you haven't already, you can check out their links, and that includes if you're listening via podcast, as we include our guest links there as well. Thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours.
3: I highly recommend watching that uh, upcoming debate on human rights in Sharia, by the way. I think people will be exposed to something very shocking that everyone should see for themselves. Uh yeah um <clears throat> Stuart, thank you so much uh, i want to ask you a question um if you don't mind um i really want to ask you a very simple question i'm not asking you for um justification of your belief and uh why you you know how you explain the theology of, of christianity and all that i just want to ask you a very simple question which is uh why are you a christian what is the simplest explanation as to why you are a christian
4: I am a Christian because I've looked into, first of all, the evidence of Christ. So many Christians become Christians through evidence. Others, they're just kind of born into it. Don't think about it. And then after that, I've, I've met Christ. Obviously, I haven't seen him and audibly heard his voice, but I've met him in the sense of who he is in the Gospels and then grown into a trusting relationship with him. So I needed the evidence and then the trusting relationship.
3: So you were not born into a Christian religion or a Christian culture?
4: I was born into a Christian home for sure. And then I was, I had all secular friends. So I went back and forth between being kind of a a cultural Christian, if you will, and then kind of a, a practical atheist at the same time, and then a fervent believer. And so I was influenced by my parents. I was influenced by secular folks.
3: Um, What do you think, if you had been born in some uh, town somewhere in, uh, let's say, in Pakistan, where 99% of the population is Muslim, if you had been born there, would you still be a Christian today?
4: In Pakistan? I don't know about uh, Iran, maybe. Probably not Pakistan.
3: (laughs) uh, You would probably not be a Christian. I mean, it is. It is statistically. I mean, you can statistically point at it and say, yeah. uh, somebody who is born in Pakistan will be to ninety nine percent a Muslim. Someone who is born in Afghanistan will be a Muslim. Someone who is born in Italy or in Poland or in America will very likely be a Christian or will end up believing uh, in or will will end up being an atheist or an agnostic or something like that so your current religion very much depends on the environment that you are born into
4: yeah i would also say though i mean easily a child could grow up next door to a presbyterian fundamentalist church in pennsylvania and it would push them immediately away from the faith
3: sure but that's just an exception isn't it i mean um, i was a muslim throughout my life uh, because i was born into a muslim family i am a, an exception i ended up uh, disbelieving in islam because I simply had different interests, a different personality that developed in a strange way, maybe. But uh, most people in my situation would still be a Muslim at this point, whereas most people in your situation would end up be still being a Christian. You wouldn't. It's very unlikely for you to end up uh, converting to Islam or for somebody in my position to end up converting to Christianity. The numbers, the statistical possibility of that is extremely low. Isn't that true?
4: Absolutely. And that's why you have examples in the Bible of like in Acts chapter eight, you have the Ethiopian eunuch needing Philip to come to him and read him the scriptures. He couldn't even read and he had no exposure to Christ. And so there's many different examples of this. But we also got to think too, AP, about how I think you're getting onto the genetic fallacy right now, because I don't think just from where you're born determines your fates. I, I have... I have many different examples of friends who were born in Christian homes who are atheists. Now, I fully agree, though, in terms of the numbers ticking a certain way. Absolutely. But this comes also back to the goodness and character of God. If he's good and and just and holy, if he is, then I think everybody's going to get a fair shake. And that's what we get in Romans chapter 2, which talks about according to the knowledge given to you, you will be judged on that knowledge. And then Hebrews 11, you have those who weren't even exposed to Jesus Christ are going to be in heaven, the patriarchs.
0: But exactly, last the, was exactly the last thing I want you? to
4: ask you, because let me just, it's the same question, but let me just shift it to your side. Because you're, you're a rare case, I think, where you stand. Yeah. I have a friend who has actually a very similar story as you. And I think this is, if you, were, if you were a white Westerner, I would simply ask the question of, even that question that you're asking me is a white Westerner question. Like Very much so. And then secondly, I guess you could say in terms of being born Catholic, perhaps the majority of people in the U.S. have this religious upbringing and they're, they're more predisposed to that. But but no, I think I think the majority of people having this type of debate, they're secular and from the West. And so the genetic fallacy there, it, it, it holds true
3: but you're just appealing to a uh, to an exception to a minority which doesn't exactly break the rule i mean uh for example uh speaking again of myself i'm somebody who was born into a muslim culture uh, left islam looked into dif- different religions uh pursued his the rest of his life maybe as a free thinker uh, whatever it is uh, i compare that to people who are uh, born here in america for example who were born into christian families grew up and spent their lives as christians are Uh, as adults still devout christians and they truly believe that their christian belief is absolutely true it's anything else is out of question it it is of course true on the other hand my parents for example grew up in uh, on the opposite side in a muslim household with muslim traditions and to them islam is of course definitely true there is uh, no other question so uh, when that is the case isn't it true that people simply uh take it as self-explanatory to believe in whatever they uh whatever religion they are born into and then based on that they make justifications and explanations such as jesus was a good guy or jesus said great things or the resurrection is believable such as uh, or when muslims muslims make the same thing with talking about the perfect character of muhammad or the moon splitting and all that i mean of course there are minorities and uh exceptions but isn't that mostly the rule
4: yeah, but that's the importance of being a truth seeker. I think many who are engaging in this show right now are dogmatic atheists. And so what do you mean by that? At the end of the 19th century, you had this shift all of a sudden through the scientific fields that pointed to atheism. Now, in the last 20 years, it's shifting back towards Christianity. And so you have different examples of scientifically, some will say it's been proven that children are born with a God-shaped brain. And what I mean by that is, even if you're born into an atheistic household, I saw this, this was done in the New York Times talked about this. There's an example of this boy driving with his dad to school and the boy is extremely young. The dad is a hardened atheist. And the boy said he believed in God and he wasn't even, he wasn't even exposed to God and he definitely didn't go to church and any of that. And so it's fascinating how, how people are talking scientifically now about a, a type of brain that is exposed and connected to god so shifting gears here unless you want to stay on this one
3: well um actually i have to i, have to, uh, I want to say something about that about that issue um there has been some research on on whether the belief in god is uh, natural in kids and there was actually a very recent study that gave us some very nice insights i'm I fail to remember where exactly it was from, but what the study reveals is that uh, kids who are raised in uh, very religious families are much more likely to believe that a uh, st- a made up story about something supernatural or something absurd is probably true, whereas uh, children raised in secular families uh, that are not exposed to religious beliefs are much more likely to believe that a certain uh, myth that was just made up that are that they are told is uh most likely false are much more much more likely to believe that it is false so um the the current research actually very much uh shows that people are extremely conditioned to uh think the way their culture conditions them to think and justify things based on that but sure we can uh, move on to something else if you want to go ahead
4: Just, just in closing, I I would agree with most of what you said, but I would splice that in the sense of, okay, what type of Christian religion you're talking about? There's three thousand three hundred denominations, and I I think that study is probably pointing to more of the fundamentalist churches and denominations, and so the Young Earthers and the strong literalists. I could totally see that, but you could compare that to a study, for example, where studies have been done showing that atheists, you know, for compared to many denominations. Are, are more intellectual and have a higher iq but if you go to the anglican denomination anglicans actually have a higher iq than the majority of atheists i think so i think, it, I think it's, it's dependent on the, the people group and, and even the denomination
3: but isn't that very much um doesn't it very much depend on your environment i mean if we were in china right now we, and we would be having this uh discussion in china in chinese in cantonese whatever it is this would be a very absurd stream don't you think <laughs> the stream that we are having right now about uh, christianity versus atheism would be a would be a very absurd stream people would be like uh why am i supposed to watch this uh nobody's christian around me anyway nobody believes in god what 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 am i why why are we even talking about this i mean there are many things that are much more important than this it would be a very strange discussion to have in China. This is a discussion that is currently relevant because it is something that concerns our culture and our environment in which we are conditioned to discuss Christianity and to believe in Christianity or to doubt it.
4: Uh, so, that's an, interesting, that's an interesting example because Christianity, Christian faith is the biggest right now in Latin America, China, and Africa. There's going to be over 100 million Christians in China within the next 20 years. And a lot of that has to do with the underground church and how it's spreading. And the reason why it's spreading so quickly, many sociologists will say, actually, it's because of persecution, which is very strange. I would say there's a spiritual dynamic there, but there's more than just spiritual. And the more you kill them, the more you kill us, the more we spread. And so I think that actually works against that type of thinking because of how vibrant the faith right now is in China. And there's different reasons for it. And the reason why so many Muslims are being converted to Christianity right now as well is... Something that you would buy into more. So globalization is one of them. But then also thousands and thousands thousands are having dreams of Jesus coming to them. And that can be empirically verified in terms of testimony. And, you know, we can't get in these people's heads and say, oh, was it really Jesus coming to them? But that's what they're proclaiming as Muslims.
3: So what, what, what would you believe if um, I gave an example earlier from my father, for example, I can give you two examples from uh, my father, who is a uh, a Muslim who was very much exposed to Christian culture, who lived within the Christian culture, and who is a very firm believer in Islam. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot and act like uh, you know what God thinks and you know what God will decide. But what would you think? Uh, do you think... From your uh, Christian perspective, as far as you know and as far as you understand, would my father be judged as somebody who uh, rejects Christianity? Or would he more plausibly be judged as somebody who simply does not know enough about Christianity, which is why he will be judged by his actions?
4: Yeah, so somebody asked me uh, two nights ago, uh, an atheist asked me, Hey, this person who's struggling with this type of sexual sin, I said, Okay, so you're getting into unrepentant sins. If you're stuck in an unrepentant sin, then you're going to hell, the Bible says. And so if they're having a a sexual encounter together and one of them dies and the one who dies is an atheist, are they automatically going to hell? And again, this comes back to what you brought up early on. It's the character and goodness of God. If Jesus Christ went to the cross dying for his enemies and even turned to a thief on the cross on one side of him, and said, today you'll be with me in paradise, despite all the things you just did. Your tough question, I, I don't want to be playing God here. And I definitely don't want to add to the scriptures. So I, I'm not going to be able to answer that directly. I think any Christian who would try to answer that question directly, I, I would run from them. I would stop having a conversation with them.
3: What's your most reasonable explanation? For? I mean, what's, what's your What is, in your opinion, the best answer? What would you consider more plausible uh, to happen as a result to my father, for example, or to me, for example, let's say, as somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity, who rejects Christianity actively.
4: Yeah, so I think, again, it would come down to everyone is going to get a fair opportunity. Uh, You go even back further, say, in Romans chapter one and two as well, even in Romans one, not just two, where So you have Paul talking about how the natural order, our conscience itself, all these things are obvious as evidence for God. And you move into, say, the question of Allah versus the Judeo-Christian understanding of God. And I think, again, it'll come down to God's character. He will reveal himself in the same kind of way to every single person different ways at the same time, say environmentally, but everyone's going to get the same type of shake. You see the egalitarianism in the Christian faith. It wouldn't make sense if they didn't. And so I would say, to answer your question, though, as specifically as I possibly can, that I think if your father looked at the evidence, read the Gospels, read the Quran, immediately rejected the Gospels, said, I want nothing to do with God, then yes, I, th- I think Judgment Day might be a little bit challenging for him. Okay, well, yeah, he
3: didn't really reject yeah. God, right? He didn't. He just doesn't believe that it is it's true. In oh, my okay. position, for example, as well. I mean, I look at Christianity and I look at the scripture. I look into uh, what the gospels present me. I read the gospels myself. I uh, have read quite a bit of the of the scripture. I listen to Christians and to Christianity the entire time. But uh, I genuinely tell you that I do not believe that it is true. I'm not saying, hey know that this is true or this is most likely true uh, but i just don't want to have anything to do with this no what i think is it's i it, this is this is not true i simply cannot uh believe why i should possibly think of this as true i am not convinced that this is true would I really be uh, considered uh, a disbeliever? And would I be punished for that? Because isn't the Christian belief that God punishes those who reject belief and who disbelief? Isn't that what Jesus is supposed to teach and to do?
4: No, that was part of the character piece I was talking about. Because the character of Christ, if you notice, he's judging people based off of their attitudes towards him. Towards him. Not about their... Wrong and right deeds, so you have in the Quran, for example, are, are your right deeds, is your heart going to be heavier or lighter than a feather, and that's how you'll be judged. No, it, it's how are you oriented to him, and do you decide that you're going to decenter yourself, that you are like him, like he did when he was here on earth, that you are going to give up yourself in order to gain your life, and that it's not just about me. See, So often when I have conversations with agnostics and atheists, they'll say something along the lines of, I want my own identity. I don't want God to give me or Jesus Christ more specifically to give me an identity and see that's so much of salvation is pushing back against the ego. That's what's because your question is based off it's really getting down to salvation and it's I'm going to live for myself or not and ultimately it's not just the lake of fire in Revelation 21 where we're just going to get tossed into because we reject Jesus. No, it's if you're rejecting the Judeo-Christian God, Jesus, and God the Father, then ultimately you're rejecting all goodness. And when you reject all goodness and holiness, love, unconditional opportunities for even forgiveness, see, the forgiveness piece is huge here, then you're, you're pushing to darkness, and you're pushing to a life that is completely devoid of goodness. So that's going to be the opposite. So that's going to be evil.
3: But you reject it because you don't seem to make sense of it. You reject it because it simply doesn't seem true. It's not something that you, uh, that you know is true, but then reject it because you're just like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want good. I don't want God. You reject it because it doesn't make sense, because it's not, you are cognitively, uh, not there. You have not convinced yourself. You have not been convinced that this is true. In my position, and as far as I know, every atheist that I have ever encountered, uh, people don't think i don't i just don't want anything to do with christianity i don't want god to decide over my life even when they say something like that what they mean is they that they simply do not believe that this god is true or that christianity is true which is why they would not like to devote their own lives and their life choices to something which they do not uh which they are not certain of so why would people be judged for ignorance
4: i don't think they will I think but then, but then who, fall,
3: then who will be judged? I mean, it looks like it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's not plausible. Then who exactly is going to be judged? I mean,
4: the unforgivable who, sin, for example, is somebody who rejects the Holy Spirit, the evidence for God, and then decides to live a life that is completely tied up in the ego. So, a life of pride, resentment, hatred. But that's again, that starts with rejecting the Holy Spirit. And so, I would say to you, in your case, the kind of people that you're talking about are way closer to the gyruses when he's saying, Jesus, I, I, I want to believe, but, but help my unbelief. And so it's that type of heart that he's looking for, because, again, it's, it's the orientation of the heart towards the goodness of God that he's looking at. And so if you're coming to him saying, hey, I want to believe, that is belief. What what I want to believe, you, but I can't
3: didn't you say earlier that if my father is uh, knows about the belief and knows about the, the scripture and the Christian uh, doctrine and tradition, but if he uh, still ends up uh, rejecting it, then he will have a hard time on the uh, what did you say yeah. day of judgment? Is that what he's you said?
4: Judgment. I, I but, said but but that he that because he's ignorant. No, I, sa- I said he rejected it. Okay, but he, he saw, the, the, evidence, but he he saw the love of Christ, but then he totally said, "I want nothing to do with you, and I'm going to live this type of life." Okay, but he doesn't. That's believe very it. different.
3: He doesn't believe that. I mean, he doesn't believe in the in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in uh in this manifestation of God. What he thinks, uh, I don't think that is true. I think my religion, Islam, is true. That is that is stupid. That's what he thinks. Let's say that this is this is what he actually thinks. He thinks that is stupid. That's obviously dumb. Why would I believe in that? My religion is obviously true. But you. And, and that is disbelief. I mean, by the traditional understanding, as far as I understand it, as far as I see it, he would be considered a disbeliever who has rejected Christianity and who would be uh, judged for this disbelief and would be uh, punished for that. That is what I see here. And that is simply ignorance. That is a, the inability to grasp that a certain thing is wrong. You may call it ego. You may call it rejection. You may call it uh, condemnation. Or arrogance, or whatever it is. But in the end, this is simply something that happens out of your uh, inability to believe that that certain thing is true. Mm-hmm. It is ignorance in the end.
4: Yeah. And, and I think ignorance will definitely be judged differently than somebody who says, I will reject this no matter what. I'm going to live for myself. It's okay, radically different
2: because it leads the
4: very, the very, position of because because a lot of christians will go to say unless you bend the knee unless you confess jesus is lord then you're, you're not going to be saved but that that does not jive with me i think that goes against the brain of so many other passages in scripture all right i'm looking at the time here because we could stay on this one the whole night are you what kind of atheist are you
3: what do you mean what kind of atheist
4: <laughs> are you like into scientism are you a hedonist are you like, no, an atheist I've, that's perhaps part of the Buddhist sex? Are you more of the politically driven, say, social Darwinist? Or no, are, you, I very just, much consider are myself, you just one of these atheists' as absence of God? I
3: consider myself a freethinker. I don't I don't really use the atheist label. I just use it for the sake of the debate, generally, because that's technically what I am if I uh, don't have the belief in the one God. But I don't really consider myself that. I usually say i'm a post theist i think the whole atheism theism divide is uh something unnecessary god is something that is part of human development is a part of human history belongs to the past it's time to move on and to look at things that uh we know for certain are true that's my stance where it is
4: know for certain are true what kind of things do you know for certain are true
3: I know that grass is green because I know that green is what we call that specific color which we see, which has these specific qualifications, specific specifications that we have. I know that eating food, uh, you know, ends my hunger and gives me energy and life uh, and so on. These are things that are true.
4: So do you think, so, so then you're in the scientific framework of we need to gain more knowledge and eschew any type of faith
3: yeah what i would think is um there are a lot of theories about uh, the origin of life about what is outside of the observable universe there are a lot of theories about how this universe uh was kicked off and all that um we have evidence for much of the things that we know today for example let's 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 go with the big bang when it comes to the big bang the big bang is a theory that we have uh, about how the universe that we are currently in began to uh expand. We have certain pieces of evidence about this Big Bang, which lead us to the final inference that the Big Bang is possibly the best explanation. What I see here is, okay, I see the evidence that the universe is expanding. I acknowledge that and I believe in that. I see that uh, there are temperature changes over time between uh, objects in space. I see that. I acknowledge and believe in that. When it comes to the Big Bang, however, the initial beginning of everything, that is a final inference, a leap of faith that we are taking which I think okay it is a reasonable explanation the most uh, possible explanation at this time nevertheless it is still an inference you could naturally see that when it comes to the question of God which uh, in my opinion requires a much larger leap of faith and a series of huge inferences, I would uh, not consider it possible to accept that as true
4: hmm. okay so so you kind of believe in the the virgin birth? Of the universe in the sense of nothing ultimately kicked it off i am side of time
3: i'm not sure i mean uh what we have is uh there could be there are certain theories some of them may be true others may not be true uh we don't exactly know if the universe for certain has has a beginning we know that it began to expand from a certain place that's all i know i I don't want to make uh, assertions and say i don't want to make truth claims I am okay with accepting uh, ignorance and simply looking for the best explanations and the evidence that emerges. I simply have a problem with truth claims and religion is all about that.
4: So since you keep going to the evidence, you know, it's interesting how, how this debate is Christianity versus atheism, but you're kind of this post theist. And so I can't decide if that's a position or not. I feel like that's, it's slight agnosticism, but then it's like agnosticism with a little edge to it, which I like, but, I feel, I think too, I I noticed, so typically when I'm debating on, not just James's channel, but different channels, I'll always hear atheists now use extraordinary uh, claims, need extraordinary evidence, and they don't even know where that came from, it came from Carl Sagan, he didn't even mean what they mean, and you can't even define, everyone disagrees on the definition of what extraordinary even is, and then people move the goalposts and say, oh no, okay, no, I need a little bit more evidence. I know some are claiming that's evidence, but that's not enough evidence because that's not even really evidence. And then the goalposts just shift. Mm-hmm. So when you say evidence, what kind of evidence do you need?
3: Um, well, you could appeal to different forms of reasoning, but um, evidence can be something that is not necessarily concrete, something that we arrive at by pure logical reasoning. Um But uh, evidence, in terms of observable evidence, for example, when I gave an example of the Big Bang, I said uh, we can observe clearly and prove that the objects in our universe are are drifting further away from each other, which means they are expanding, Uh, or the, the space that we are in is expanding. We can clearly observe that and document that. And I therefore accept that as true because there is no reason why I can possibly object to that. But then uh, you could argue that the evidence points at the Big Bang, and you could then accept the Big Bang as 100% true. I would not. I would say that's the best possible explanation, but that's all it is. And I would have the same uh, position on uh, God as well. And. Unfortunately, in terms of God, I simply do not see any piece of evidence which would point us at uh, the direction of a creator because we don't have a creator that we can compare the creator to. We don't. Uh, we cannot describe what creating actually is. We don't know what God actually is. It is simply a term that was introduced to us by certain religions, and we have no reason to accept those religions. I have no reason to accept Christianity as true, for example. I haven't seen one today. I would like to see one.
4: Godless mysticism. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Godless mysticism is a type of atheism. And so I would agree with you in terms of the godlessness, you know, mysticism. It steals from Christian traditions when it comes to mysticism. And at the same time, it says that there's no definition of God. We don't know what God is. So let's get rid of this idea of God. So what we're, what we're debating tonight is Jesus Christ, was he truly a person? One. What was his character like? Two. What were his claims? Three. And what happened to that? corpse for did what did he actually rise from the dead or did he not and see i think that is so far because i would agree with you without jesus christ it's what is god this comes some type of ethereal mist it doesn't make any sense i fully agree and that's why i like what we're talking about right now but again I, i think it's fascinating how you keep going back to the big bang and drawing these conclusions and saying it's not god because albert einstein as you might know would strongly disagree with you on this. Because Albert Einstein, in in bringing in ushering as his fudge factor, as you probably know, he said that, no, the the universe is eternal. I'm going to cheat here on my numbers. But all of a sudden, his colleagues start to catch him. And he says, shoot, okay, fine. There was a big bang. That means there was a beginning to the universe. That means I have to talk about something now and actually philosophize in a very pragmatic way about how there is some being Outside of space and time that started this place, that being God, that's why he became begrudgingly a theist.
3: Okay, but that is simply uh, again a series of inferences. I mean, you you could also appeal to Spinoza, for example, and talk about Spinoza's God. Uh, What he eventually did was to present a certain idea of a perception of God that is not very much in agreement with the Christian understanding of God. Just as much as uh, Albert Einstein's uh, imagination of a certain uh, creator or an initial mover is not entirely in agreement with the Christian idea of God. This 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 idea of god could be anything in eastern uh in the far east in east asia people explain this by appealing to a term called the dao which is the eternal balance that cannot be described cannot be explained contrary to western philosophy and religion uh which you simply rely on and uh whose balance you seek in the world why not trust that why go with the christian explanation I can say, hey look it makes sense uh, we are in a in a world in a universe I'm not sure how far back I can go with creation before creation before creation there must be something at the very beginning there must be something that is greater than all of this there must be something all-powerful this could be something that I could uh, that I could come to but again I would just be making assumptions moving on from that to come to the the, the idea of the one God I would then again make a lot of different assumptions. Unless I trust one certain religious belief and its doctrines, in this case, Christianity, and there I would then again have to trust uh, vague scriptures and uh, have inferences there as well and think, well, people can't have made this up. There must be some truth to it. It is probably true. That's what we have in Christianity. There is no proper evidence that we have for the claims of Christianity to be true. So, you understand? what I'm saying is there simply is no reason for somebody who wants to uh, only accept verifiable truth to accept Christianity as true, unless we want to make certain leaps of faith. And why would I make them?
4: Okay, so atheists make all kinds of leaps of faith. Right? Sure. It's a philosophical question, whether God exists to begin with, and how this universe began. Any, anything appealing to metaphysics obviously involves faith. And we know even evolution talks about process, not origin. Origin is all about faith and beliefs and garnering evidence. I, I think most recently I've really worked through the type of faith that atheists have when it comes to something like human rights, when it comes to something like universal benevolence, when it comes to something like why sacrifice for somebody on the other side of the world? What is the ultimate reason for an atheist? What is the motive to do so? Secondly, I think of this whole scientific piece that we've been talking about. I don't think it's just we're garnering knowledge. I hear so many atheists say, oh, it's all about science. We're just garnering knowledge. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you are not. You have beliefs underneath. You have theories underneath this quote-unquote knowledge. And all of the hypotheses as well are connected in many ways to the evidentiary type of faith and beliefs. I mean, then you have other, I, I hear people all the time or atheists kind of, kind of talk about how this, this idea of sin, the doctrine of sin is despicable. Well, okay, so morally speaking, you think humanity has gotten better? I mean, we've gotten better when it comes to world hunger, but you honestly think the human heart has gotten better? That, that is a scary claim. There, there's no way the human heart has gotten better. And, and so what is going to be the answer from an atheistic perspective Because I hear so many atheists say, oh, yeah, 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 humanity, you know, utopia, things are all good, humanity is getting much better, and and then, so there are so many things that I think atheists overreach on, that they have no idea they're doing so.
3: Sure, I completely agree. I mean, I agree that atheists make a lot of uh, assumptions and a lot of inferences, rely on certain things. I entirely agree with that. Um, I would say that the whole morality aspect is a complete uh, discussion that we can have. I don't. I think that morality is a human construct that is built entirely on uh, necessities and on very simple functions, which is why humans came up with very uh, similar morals around the world. That's fine, uh, and that is okay. But uh, what we are doing in this case is we are saying, well, okay, believing in Christianity is a leap of faith, but other things are also a leap of faith. Sure, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. But why exactly would I take that leap of faith and believe in Christianity? Why would I have the need to believe in Christianity? If I will not be judged for being ignorant, for disbelieving, why would I feel the need? Why Why would you feel the need to convince me to become a Christian? Why should I become a Christian if I do not think that it is true, if I don't have any evidence, when I could go for so many different worldviews in the world that are just as functional or even more functional, maybe? Why Christianity?
4: And so one of the questions you asked in there was, why would I want you to become a Christian? And I think that has to be done, I mean, if I truly love you, it's the whole idea of, the atheist convention that met at Dartmouth university saying you Christians, if you're not sharing your faith and wanting people to become Christians, morally you're despicable. Or the atheist who said, if I was a Christian, I would crawl across cut glass in order to bring people to know Christ out of love. So that's the answer to that one. But I love that you keep going back to, is this thing true or not? Because there's all the evidence in the world that going to church. So a recent meta analysis study came out on, um, what was the title? It was church attendance and despair and how emotionally, relationally, if you go to church almost on a weekly basis, you are so much your life expectancy, your emotional health, mental health skyrockets. But I like that you keep coming back to No, we want to know if this is true and you get those benefits, oddly enough, if, it, if you believe it's true, not just going to church being like, oh, wow, I'm not going to be depressed this week. No, it's if you believe based off of evidence that this is true, and I think one of the pieces you asked the you talked about in your opening was the reliability of the gospels, mm-hmm. and I think two of the reasons that the gospels are reliable is one they're were, they're were written too early, um, and, and the manuscript evidence they're, they're, it's too close to the actual dating of Jesus's death and resurrection, and then the amount of manuscripts we have almost six thousand now, I think. I think that early attestation is huge. And then also another one is that they're not written as fiction. Clearly there's footnotes throughout the gospels. There's things like an Acts, for example, where you have, I think it's 54 different forms of here's exactly what happened. And so it's a type of, you know, or in what is it? John 21 talks about how there's 53 fish exactly on the beach that, Jesus was eating. And so that's not written as fiction. And I think I would push back too. I think it's, yes, I think it's hard to know exactly whether we have the right authors. But historians say that the dating is much harder to get than the authorship, typically with an ancient document, if the author's name is on there. Typically, you take that as that—that's the author.
3: Okay, but what we're doing in the end is again—we're just going for a um, a scripture that, um, evidently, if we look at the world, if we look at discussions regarding Christianity, if we even look at scholarly works surrounding Christianity and these debates that we are having, it is obviously a problem that uh, the scripture is not. Um, subjectively reliable to everybody and there there are many problems with it there are uh, as far as anthropology is concerned there are certain standards based on which we cannot uh, consider the resurrection of jesus christ or his life events to be uh, certain historical facts we treat them as stories that may or may not be true Uh, So so, so this is what we are confronted with. We have a certain um, collection of beliefs and collection of writings and sayings that we may or may not believe because we don't for sure know if they are true or not. If you are born into the religion or if something moves you toward the religion, you will most likely somehow find a way to believe that it is true. In most cases, you will not find a reason to believe that it is true. But in the end, we are simply left with that. And I would again ask the question, why exactly would I become a Christian? Is it pragmatic? Well, if that's what it is, uh, why do I exactly need Christianity? There are ways outside of Christianity that could make me just as happy, that could put my life just as much in order. Why exactly Christianity? If it comes to the morals and the exemplary character of Jesus, uh, as you have uh, Given examples in your opening statement, there are people in the world in human history that we can take examples from, such as Confucius or the Buddha, for example, who are extraordinarily exemplary people who have been influential for a very long time. And if you follow the teachings of the Buddha, you will not concern yourself, concern yourself with uh, discussions on how everything came to existence and what you should do so you can be saved. You would rather focus on having peace, which I think could be more fun. So why, if, if it's, if it's uh, well-being, if it's pragmatism, then I don't need Christianity. I, I'm just as uh, good without Christianity. If it's happiness, I'm just as good without Christianity. Uh, if it's the evidence, where is the evidence? So, you know. Uh,
4: yeah. Uh, so Confucius's grave is full. Muhammad's grave is full. Buddha's grave is full. Jesus Christ, his grave is is empty. And he claimed to be God. And so, yes, these were all great dudes, but he claimed to be God. And is the historical evidence there or not that he actually rose from the dead is the question. And so, no, it's not a matter of pragmatics. When I talked about the the meta-analysis when it comes to church attendance and despair, I'm saying that's one of the benefits of. I think (laughs) again back to evidence versus experiential. I think we're talking about the evidence, but the evidence also has to – once you get to a worldview, you also have to experience it that it actually works. See, I don't think atheism actually aligns with reality. I don't think you can truly live out atheism. I I think the meaninglessness, the despair, the nihilism, the moral relativism, I mean, I could go on and on. And that's why you have this incredible, again, the overreach of atheists is insane, especially in the department of humanism, because you have so many atheists are smuggling in a type of meaning when ultimately life is meaningless. Ultimately, you can gain meaning here. But ultimately, life is meaningless if you're an atheist. Ultimately, you don't have any type of long-lasting hope. You can have a level of optimism here. But there's so many things we long for that the Christian faith answers and it fits. But you keep saying that there's no evidence. So that's what I was starting into, though. because you, you, you So I was, the reliability of the Gospels, evidence as well as the resurrection. And I talked to you about right out of the gate. I mean, written too early. They're not written as fiction. There's embarrassing details. The footnotes I talked about, like Simon of Cyrene carrying Jesus' cross, father of Alexander and Rufus, who probably weren't even born yet, but they would have been known in the community. And so it's go check with these guys, see if the eyewitness testimony is correct, and then believe or don't believe based off of the evidence of the eyewitness testimony. And so it's, it's not written as, again, fiction whatsoever. You have to deal with the incredibly embarrassing details. I mean, Peter, the head of the entire church, who's considered the rock now, who had this amazing identity shift after encountering Jesus Christ, just like James did, he denied Jesus to a little eight-year-old schoolgirl. That's totally embarrassing. Why would you have the head of your entire church power moving forward have this embarrassing moment? Why wouldn't you cover that up? And so there's so many different parts to the Gospels when it comes to reliability, when it comes to written as history, not fiction, when it comes to, like I said, the footnotes, the embarrassing deep. There's so much evidence to the reliability of it. And we're not, we haven't even touched yet when it comes to judging other ancient documents.
3: But I, I don't really see this as evidence. I mean, <laughs> um Saying about an an ancient text that uh, it contains certain things that may be regarded uh, embarrassing and if people wanted to make up certain information they would have removed those uh, embarrassing information is not evidence of the fact that the the religion which uh, is being conveyed in those texts is necessarily true. I mean, it it may very well be, you said uh, these texts were written very early and are uh, thought to be relying on eyewitnesses, but it may very well be. We didn't have the standards back then in the time to actually uh, verify everything by modern standards, which is why we don't have the evidence that these documents have been verified. It may very very well be that all these uh, sayings and all these traditions uh, that are the gospel came from a small single source that simply con- uh, continued as an oral tradition throughout uh, regions which then turned into uh, different books that by the way have great contradictions within each other uh, with with each other internally so um, we have we have four gospels when it comes to the Gospels only the gospels uh, have a certain account of a person named Jesus they have a lot of contradictory information so if if it were uh, entirely reliable and valid uh, eyewitness account. It is strange to consider the the vastness of contradiction and the absence of information uh, in certain gospels, which you can find in others. and we have, um, it, it is very reasonable to assume that there is a long line of oral traditions there and of oral uh, sayings and transmissions that that took place. And we are talking about, it, it's not a modern time like today, we're talking about times where people transmitted all kinds of absurd beliefs to each other. In Europe, people still believed that uh, you shouldn't go out in the forests at night because there are witches in the forests and uh Big monsters in the clouds that might get you or dwarfs and whatever it is, I mean people believed in very crazy things because people were not very much informed and didn't have the advanced technology and the means that we have today, so simply relying on people delivering certain information and including uh details that. Proud people wouldn't have included. These, to me, are not pieces of evidence. These are simply reasons why you may justify your belief. And I might simply not accept that in order to justify believing in that certain religion because i rejected on many different grounds as, as established.
4: Well, but, okay, so you started right out of the gate with something I never claimed. You said not that the religion is true. That That's kind of the evidence I'm giving you. I, I'm talking about historical reliability when it comes to the Gospels. I'm not arguing for the defense of the Bible. I'm not arguing for, is the religion true because of this?
2: So we've got to clear that up.
4: Oral tradition, I would disagree on. I I think, yes, oral tradition, what we have today, certainly I agree, it's on more shaky ground. But if you look at controlled versus uncontrolled, when it came to how serious you were going to take somebody's word and pass it along, Jesus was considered the rabbi. So it was a controlled setting when it came to eyewitness testimony. And so people would have died for keeping their rabbi's word truthful. And so that's why I believe it can absolutely be considered verifiable in many types of ways. But again, I see, I see what you're doing. And again, I agree with the instruments that we have for testing the credibility of history today is way better. Do I wish we had those back then? Absolutely. But okay, but then what's the cutoff like? Can we believe, for example, that D-Day happened? What about the Holocaust? Like, they didn't have the kind of instruments that we did. I, I mean, could they test history or or not? Like, like at what point are we going to cut off and say, no, we can't trust that because those instruments just just weren't as good as ours? And then I think you bring up contradictions, but many would say that the contradictions in scripture are not not downright contradictions, but whether it be scribes messing up on minor details or whether it be looking at it and saying, no, it's different perspectives from different gospel writers, different sources claiming that this actually happened, instead of agreeing to with each other to an infinitesimal degree, then all of a sudden you say, oh, collusion, obviously. And so again, I see you wrestling with the oral tradition, but the oral tradition leads beautifully right into when Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, he's clearly saying, some have fallen asleep but the 500, many of whom are alive. So what he means by that is go check with them, go check with the eyewitness testimony, these sources to see if the resurrection actually occurred. Many were eyewitnesses and then many were close to the eyewitnesses. And so once that happened, then you had many of these eyewitnesses dying. And so what what, what did they have to do? They had to write down what occurred because the eyewitnesses were dying. And so it wasn't this long, long oral tradition, but you know just as well as I do, AP, oral tradition actually was is pretty impressive, especially back then in terms of memory, in terms of why Jesus spoke in parables. I mean, kids could memorize the entire Torah and speak it. So the oral tradition was was incredible when it came to memory. So I believe no, that there's there's a lot of evidence that it that it truly was is credible today, even.
3: But do do you believe that Muhammad uh, split? Do do you believe that the moon was split in two in Muhammad's time? In,
4: (laughs) I no, I don't.
3: (laughs) Why not? I, I, I think, uh, in all honesty, when I look at the Christian um, tradition and uh, the reliability of the, of the Christian scripture, I think that uh, the traditions of Muhammad asking for the moon to be split in two and the moon being split in two in Muhammad's time is equally reliable, maybe even more reliable, because we have actual people that we can trace, a line of people that we can trace who have uh, witnessed the happening of that and brought it to us. I think it is incredibly absurd. I think it's, it's, it's dumb to be very very honest but it is just as reliable i mean the, the christian account of uh, the sayings and the life and the death and resurrection of jesus christ are almost very very much equally reliable somewhat somewhere there and again even if the scripture was entirely authentic even if they were written by the people who we think wrote those books i still don't see how and why we would eventually believe in the claims that these people have made about uh, the origin and life and afterlife and the divinity of Jesus, if it 's the character we have a lot of great people who have who had great character if it's uh, his status as God and as a forgiving person i don 't think he's very forgiving if he uh, creates people with evil and then judges them for evil, uh, which he himself created and could have sim- simply gotten rid of I, mean, I i don't i don't really see uh, where any of these foundations for belief in Christianity really hold up.
4: Yeah, and I would say you you've got to take seriously eyewitnesses, how many were there? Do you believe in them? If so, why? If, if not, why not? And then you gotta you gotta you still haven't talked about the world view change that happened overnight that that really just completely swept the entire Roman Empire up and then encountering the empty tomb. Whether that occurred and we know people aren't going to die for what they know to be a lie. No, no one's going to do that. And so the details, the manuscript evidence, you know, Nabil Qureshi, Mm -hmm. probably better than I do. This is exactly what he did right here. He looked at your example of the splitting of the moon. He looked at Muhammad when Muhammad talked about making a bird out of clay. He looked at Jesus when Jesus talked about making a bird out of clay, except it was in the Apocrypha. So none of the early church took it seriously. He looked at these things. He looked at the details and he said, is this written as history or not? And the fact of the matter is these people did exist. Jesus Christ did exist as a historical figure. He had this type of character which we would expect out of a good God, the God, the only God. He made these claims which is clear as day. And then it was all backed up by his resurrection and all the evidence we have from enemy attestation, as well as those who knew him. And then it changed the world and it has only grown and grown and grown. And now it's the biggest religion in the entire world. So I would say to you, You've got to come up with what's your alternative substitute to especially many of these things, but say the worldview change that happened overnight.
3: I mean, the what worldview change is not, is not necessarily—it's uh, not necessarily reason to believe that these that a the certain message that was delivered is true. It simply means that it was uh, that. As a a result of a series of events, it resulted in changing the world and becoming dominant in the world, just as Islam did in different ways. It might not be very pleasant to speak of, but uh, that happened as well. And so, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's it's not uh, people believing in something, and people believing in something uh, in masses is not necessarily uh, proof for that certain belief to be true. Uh, I understand why Christianity turned out to be functional, why it worked, and obviously there is the big contribution of the Roman Empire converting to Christianity and then imposing Christianity on its population while persecuting uh, uh, and, and attacking the former temples, which they, by their own standards, deemed uh, dangerous and detrimental to their uh, to, to their to the to the glory of their uh, newfound faith that led to the success of christianity i would definitely argue that christianity worked for a society because it uh, granted people a certain sense of peace within the society but so did many other systems in the world as uh, as mentioned confucianism uh, revolutionized and changed uh, china so much which is why it is regarded as uh, which is why it spread through such a massive population in a very quick time so uh, the fact that something works or the fact that uh, people believe in something or that the fact that something becomes successful to me is alone not proof that it is true. Uh, especially if there is so much to the contrary, such as the whole idea, which doesn't make sense to me still, that God sets this life up for us and then you know, rewards and punishes us, it's, it's absurd to me. And I don't think it's something that we can actually get out of.
4: I think those terrorists, who did the 9/11 attacks and, and those who were doing the suicide bombings? I think their belief is radically different from the belief that upended the Roman Empire so quickly. I agree. So brainwashing takes a long time. Even brainwashing little kids, we know this psychologically. It, it takes a little while. This, this again, this happened overnight. Hundreds and then thousands and thousands were coming to the faith, and I just I don't I don't know if you're saying this, but it sounds like you're saying this. Sounds like you're, saying, you're, you're comparing the two and saying that they're the same. But no, That's this is a belief that they have in Allah or, or some type of word that they got from Allah or the Qur'an. This is very radically different from the eyewitness testimony of those who are willing to die for what they knew to be alive that didn't happen. No, nobody dies for that. Many people will die for crazy beliefs. You think of Jim Jones, you think of the Branch Davidians. Absolutely, they will die for that. But they're not going to look and say, hey... He did not rise from the dead. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and and die and say that he did. No, you have to be a maniac. I mean, maniacs will do that, sure. But no one in their right mind is actually going to do that, especially not hundreds and thousands of people.
3: Now, I would like to clarify something. I would never say that Christianity is uh, like Islam. I would never say they are the same thing. Uh, People who know me know that I would never say that. (laughs) I just just want to clarify that before that gets out wrong. But... um, I completely agree that Christianity uh, spread quite differently from how Islam spread. Islam spread from the beginning to the end by the sword. Christianity started with missionary uh, activities uh, spreading among the common people and then it became uh, a force later on and then spread through violence for a long time. Uh, which still I don't think is comparable. But the point is um, we don't actually have evidence that uh, so many people had eyewitness reports of uh, the resurrection and and an empty tomb. We don't actually have any evidence of um, the life and death of Jesus and how he lived, what he said, whether he was actually buried there or not. We don't have any of these things. So um, we mostly rely, again, on certain accounts for the sake of, simply uh, relying on them because they happen to be part of this religious belief that seems kind of plausible to us or that uh, that is part of our culture we are born into it which is why we should find ways to explain it but i don't think that the evidence is there. What I would accept as acceptable evidence is if we had, I mean, for example, why isn't God communicating with us today? Why is it up up to us relying on some ancient scripture? Why the hiddenness? I mean, we have the internet. It is the, the easiest thing nowadays uh, to deliver information from one place to the other. If something happens in the sky in China, people in America will know it within seconds. If today a great miracle happened, if today something huge happened, which showed to us that Christianity is indeed true, that God does indeed exist, something something that is uh, undeniable, something that cannot be compared to anything else, the information would rapidly you know, uh, go all around the world and we would all see it. I have given the example before of the miracle of a descending leg, as I want to call it, which is that uh, we see somebody live on TV who is missing a leg People are praying for him, uh, to God, and suddenly we see from the sky a leg is coming down and attaching itself to that man's leg. Something very extraordinary, right? But why can't miracles be extraordinary for all of us to look and see? Why does it have to be vague, buried somewhere in ancient documents that we have to fight in order to verify? This is, I can't accept that.
4: First of all, it's a great question, but first of all, the Bible, think about the amount of years it spans, and then think about how many years this world has been around. Okay, so the Bible clearly is a matter of, it's only 42 authors, for example, as well, only a couple thousand years. It's it's gonna be the highlights, the highlights, the top 10 nominees, sports centers top 10 nominees, when it comes to the miracles, when it comes to many great events, you're gonna see in them. So it's hard to take that and say, okay, I should be seeing these same kind of miracles every single day. Well, not, not if you look scripturally. It, it makes sense if you look at the Bible and it's it's literally the highlights in many ways. Secondly, I, so I have not seen a leg grow back. I've had many friends say that they have. Whenever I get invited to one of these, these tent healings, I don't go. I don't know why. I, maybe I should go one of these days. I, I just get a little spooked. But so many of them have told me that they've seen things grow back that I don't know what's going on. Either something, either they are hallucinating or they're seeing something. But my personal experience in Haiti, there absolutely (laughs) was some kind of spiritual craziness going on that does not happen here. And whether that's because of our materialism or whatever the issue might be, it could be different. But near-death experiences alone, 30 million in Asia claim to have had just NDEs. So, So that's a specific type of miraculous occur to them. And so there's tons and tons of testimony. You and I would sit here and say we don't have personal testimony. But I mean, there's so many people who have. So it's kind of hard to say that why doesn't anybody get miracles?
3: Well, it seems that God that I mean, would reveal himself personally instead of universally. What's that? It's weird that God would reveal himself personally to a specific people instead of revealing himself universally. I mean, yeah, it could be so easy.
4: And that's where we would we would disagree. I mean, agreed again, to some extent, do I want God to be here in in actually a personal form? Absolutely. Do I think God has shown himself through nature, the evidence through nature, through things like consciousness, through things like, you know, how many, the cosmological, we could go over so many different arguments. It's, it's scary. But I think based <laughs> off of nature, based off of conscience, right and wrong, based off of just an innate knowledge that there is something out there, and then I have to push back against that. I mean, many people would say, no, I'm born with, absolutely, there's nothing out there. I was born with a, a test tube. And and so my whole piece on this is, again, we can't play games with God. You know, if I said, okay, you know, prove to me you're my friend. Show up in my house right now. I, I don't know where you live, but, but show up right now. Or, or we'll make it a little more mundane. Just give me five bucks every day. Come on, that type of revelation and, and be my friend. Okay, obviously, that's a type of friendship that is absolutely not done out of free will and not done out of love for the other person. No, it's it's playing serious manipulative games. And so God's not going to do that with us. And I have typically my Jewish friends will say, Stuart, I'll believe if he shows up every single day, just once, if he shows up every day and I get a little lightning in the sky, are you going to come to a trusting relationship with him and understand what real belief is in that sense, it's a trusting relationship, or do you just want some type of incredibly powerful, amazing vision or him just popping up and all of a sudden, I believe in you because I saw you, so I'm going to heaven, right? When that couldn't be more al- just alternate to, to what the Christian faith is talking about in a relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting relationship versus that type of just bald belief.
3: I mean, it's not like God is getting tired from uh, or God is losing something from us asking him. Right. I mean, uh, briefly, I want to address the whole uh, near death experience issue. Um, Near death experiences have uh, are very much scientifically explained, although um, there is still there is still some effort to understand how exactly and why exactly it happens how exactly it works it is very much within reason and within the findings of neuroscience to explain that a person who is assumed to be dead or who is dying would have certain uh hallucinations and a sense of mixing reality with uh dreams with a dream state with a consciousness that is awake while the body. Uh, cannot be awake while the body cannot move. So near the, near death experiences to me wouldn't be uh, pr- wouldn't be evidence. If I myself had one, I would think it would be a very poor reason to believe in God. With everything that I know right now about uh, neuroscience. But uh, when it comes to God, it's not like we are asking God to give up something, or we are asking God to, uh, it's not like it's a nuisance to God or an annoyance to God or God loses something or God thinks, oh, again, you're asking me to come there again to show up. No, it's, it's, it's God. I mean, we are, we are taught that God uh, wants us to believe in him. We are taught that God wants to save us. He wants us to go to the good place. I feel like if that is really the belief then it shouldn't be too much to ask God to uh try and to show to me that he is indeed the one that people tell me he is otherwise I simply don't see why I should believe in that God especially if I have too much uh seeming evidence reasoning to the contrary that he is not uh even real uh, let alone being that God that others tell me about if 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 it if he really wants it If he does exist, which I deem very unlikely, then, hey, why would it be hard for him to simply come and do what he, the almighty God, wants to do, which is to save me?
4: Okay, But don't forget, even in Matthew 28, when Jesus is going to ascend and he sends out his apostles, disciples to go evangelize and outreach, it says many doubted. Many walked away from the faith or in John six, when he's giving out. The bread, he's talking about my body's the bread, you got to drink my blood. People misunderstood it, but they were also like, we know the claims he's making, pretty exclusive, and he's he's calling us to a type of connection with him that we don't want. I still want to live my own life, and he takes off. So my question for you then, AP, is could you honestly say right now, if God came down here and showed you himself, and you supposedly, okay, I believe now, because I think my five senses are not lying to me. Okay. But it's not that. It's the next step, which is because even even the demons believe, right? And they shudder. That's that's just not it. Jesus says over and over that, that type of belief is just not it. It's the second step of trusting. Are you willing to give up your life to save your life? Are you willing to deny yourself completely and walk in a way where you're willing to give up literally everything resources even your very life for jesus christ and to enter into a type of loving relationship where it ultimately is all about him and not about us are you willing to do that
3: i mean it depends if that is what god really wants me to do if he does exist and i know for sure that uh, he is real and that's what he wants me to do uh i'm not sure it would depend i would probably do what god wants me to do because uh, he knows better and i'm after the truth but the issue here again is uh that is not something that we that actually happens it's not something that happened to me it's not something that happened to anyone anyone that i know it's not something that we can uh verify ever happened and i would still ask why in the world are you judging all those people who don't want to do that because of the way you created them, I go mean, ahead. even go ahead. I mean, e- e- even if it, even if it comes down to uh, simply disbelieving in God, rejecting God, rejecting what He wants from you, isn't isn't God in the end uh, punishing people for the very nature that He Himself created? I say I would probably believe and follow, but someone else might not want to because they may have their own reasons which they are naturally conditioned to which God has caused because he's the creator why would he then come and judge the human for that it seems a bit absurd and a bit cruel to me honestly
2: what I want to do is give each of you about two minutes to draw together some of the threads from tonight's debate and so with that we'll go into the Q&A immediately afterwards but Stuart we'll start with your two-minute closing statement
4: so I've talked about the character. This is what you'd expect if God walked on this earth. Character of he fought racism, he fought political bar- barriers, fought moral, you know, moral outsiders. He always welcomed in his claims, undeniable. Jesus assumed authority to forgive sins. He claimed that he alone could give eternal life. He claimed to be the truth, and then the reliability of the gospels. I think again, written too early, based off of this oral tradition that was taken. To the bank at that time, they were not written as fiction. Based off of the embarrassing details, there were tons of footnotes. It would have been written way ahead of its time, like as in like a nineteenth-century type of fiction. If it was fiction, that's not how fiction was written back then. And then finally, the resurrection. Again, it gets back to there are independent accounts. The simplicity of Mark's account showing it, this is just history. The Jewish polemic saying, "Hey, what enemy attestation here." We're saying that this happened and this is what we did with the body or this is what they did rather with the body. And then the, the appearances, Peter, the disciples 500, we have this very, very early on, just after anywhere from a couple years to 15 years after the event itself, we have this claim of who saw and people backed it up. And then finally we talked about how there was this tremendous worldview change and an incredible way to to finish for me is I hear atheists say all the time that you're right. We do need to account for this worldview change. If we're saying it didn't happen because of the resurrection.
2: You got it. Thank you very much, Stuart. And then AP, if you'd like two minutes as well, before we go into the Q and a, we can do that.
3: Sure, yes. Um, <clears throat> so, um, I really appreciate this conversation tonight. Uh, I think it was quite interesting. So what I want to say is, uh, I came here, as said earlier, not, not with the aim to, uh, not with the aim of disproving Christianity, but, uh, rather finding out why one should believe that Christianity is true. I don't think that Christianity needs to be uh, disproven. I simply don't think that there is proof for Christianity, which is why um, you don't need to necessarily disprove something for which there is no solid proof, to me, in my opinion, with all due respect. Uh, Is it necessary to believe in Christianity? Is it Pragmatic to believe in Christianity. It might be for some people which is why I find it understandable that some people believe in Christianity that some people believe in religions I have nothing against uh, religious beliefs. I myself think I'm much better off sticking to things that I know and uh, Not trying to desperately tell myself that there is uh, some ulterior some uh, interior some um, Ultimate meaning to life some inherent meaning to life that I must find I think I would be lying to myself if I did that and if I based that on religious beliefs, especially since there's so much uh, evidence to the contrary that that Christianity is, in my opinion, uh, not true. Jesus may have been a great character, especially for his time and environment, and I partially agree with that. But then again, so what? He was simply a revolutionary guy. On the other hand, if we did want to accept that Jesus is also God and that Jesus also speaks in the name of God, then I would say that he has some qualities that I simply don't understand how they are logical or good, such as creating humans flawed, creating a uh, a, a dirty Evil world, and then simply letting this, uh, letting the, this existence continue with this evil way and judging the world for being evil when he himself could have simply made everything beautiful. So, um, this is logically. Five e- seconds. Bad to me and yeah,
2: okay, sure. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't give you a greater an earlier warning, but we want to say, folks, our, our guests are linked in the description. That includes here on YouTube, but it also includes on in the podcast. So if you want to hear more from AP as well as from Stuart, hey, on the podcast, you can find their links as well as here on YouTube. And so we're gonna jump into these questions, but I do wanna say just a couple of other things in particular regarding housekeeping type stuff. One is that As I had mentioned, my dear friends, we are excited. And thanks, AP, for kind of giving a uh, kind of the nod, for giving the thumbs up to this upcoming debate next weekend on human rights versus Sharia law. It's going to be controversial, folks. It for sure will be. But we definitely think it's worth it. And so we hope that you make it for that debate. And don't forget to subscribe for a reminder for when that debate happens first question coming in from seize the day studio says hi Stuart. you said previously you were questioning your faith and then decided to follow god is that because your dad may have influenced you to do so
4: so is the question more so he was influencing me to to chase after and check out other truth paths or is it more so, he was brainwashing me so much that I was like, okay, I'm out of here.
2: <laughs> well, they didn't use those exact words, but I think they were saying, I, I interpreted it as, like, did your dad help you to, like, kind of return to Christianity after you were questioning it?
4: I asked him for resources, for sure. I went and got my own resources, and then I, I remember actually being at my desk my sophomore year of college, calling him, saying, hey, I need some substantial resources right now if I'm going to be a Christian.
2: You got it. And thanks very much for this question. Amazing. Robert Summers says, leading with calling sex workers, quote unquote, beyond scum, why do you choose to call them that?
4: I didn't do that at all. I said in the Roman Empire, that's what they were considered. Just like many people groups.
3: (laughs) you got it misunderstood but it's it's good that you clarified that
2: (laughs) made by jim bob says ap you go with christianity because it's the most coherent account for the unity between material mind and metaphysics i think they're saying like you should go with christianity for that reason
3: i I don't understand why i mean I, (laughs) i i really don't understand why i disagree with that i think um there are better explanations elsewhere and actually um, studying psychology and uh, studying neuroscience, which I have uh, very much done to a certain extent over the last uh, two years. I feel like uh, we have much better explanations outside of Christianity uh, when it comes to this reality.
2: You got it. And Chloe McLean, amazing, says, Stuart, can you differentiate a feeling of the spirit and the normal human experience of peace slash love or wholeness or completeness, or is it that only God can give you that? No.
4: I mean, yes, in one sense, people experience the Holy spirit differently. Some it's more of a feeling than others. They would claim that also gets into denominational differences. Many of my charismatic friends would say when they get their hands high in the air, they feel feel a type of warmth in their palms. I do not get that. So it's different for people. And I I wouldn't want to measure it scientifically. I think we'd run into all different sorts of problems if we did.
2: You got it. And thank you very much for this question. From Joel Nelson says, Stuart, how do you deal with Matt saying Jesus was born during Herod's rule, but Luke says it was when Judea became part of Syria? Those events are 10 years apart.
4: I don't know. Good question. Matt has not asked me that.
2: And this one coming in from Chloe McLean says, James, say amazing, please. Amazing. Thanks for your super sticker, Doubting Thomas as well. And Contrarian 420 says, Stuart, how do you square up the infallibility of the Bible with all the fallen hands that have altered and edited it through history?
4: Well, so this is a better one for AP probably than me, because if you look at the Quran where you're getting word for for word from Allah versus the Bible, which I believe in infallibility and I don't believe in inerrancy. And I think it is through human hands. It's exactly right. Where you do have like Bart Ehrman talks about 400,000 variations. Fortunately, those variations do not in any way take away from the main thrust of different verses or even chapters of scripture. And then I think if you look at the scribes, especially the monastic scribes, how they transmitted classical, Greek, and Roman works, they were the only ones relied upon. So not just the Holy Scriptures, but also any, any work from that period. And so we are fully trusting the monastic Christian monks to do this for us. And so, yes, do I think there's screw-ups? Absolutely. But do I think overall it's transmitted in a way that makes sense and is the integrity of it is still there? Yes.
3: I don't know why you would ask me about the Quran. I think the Quran is a bunch of garbage. But
2: <laughs> next up, thanks for your question. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> now we know where you stand. And Nephilibree says thanks for what you do, James. Thank you, Nephilibree for your support, as well as Mike q nine two two. Appreciate your support. <laughs> as well as Spider the Ateo, thanks for your super sticker too. And Chloe McLean says Stuart, do you think that people of other faiths don't have personal relationships with their deity or that their their deities aren't as quote-unquote good, good being subjective?
4: Yeah, we would have to compare deities to themselves. I wouldn't want to make a general sweeping statement. I would say, too, no, I think, I mean, look, when I've studied Buddhism, even though... I, I, the oneness the getting over ego there's so many similarities with buddhism and christianity i think you can have a type of experience with the mother tree or or coming into this all soul in a way i I personally have where i found this peace that that ap was talking about so so no i think you can have a personal relationship in a way where the feelings perhaps are just as peaceful at times than than who, who i believe to be the true god jesus christ
2: You got it, Ann. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Robert Summers says, Does God know the exact way that he could reveal himself to me in a way that I would believe? I am honestly open and willing.
4: Ask the first part of that again.
2: He said, Does God know the exact way that he could reveal himself to me in such a way that I would therefore believe? I am honestly open and willing.
4: Yes. God knows everything.
2: You got it. And Chloe McLean, thanks for your question for AP, says, Do you believe in spirituality? Why or why not?
3: Um, I personally don't, simply because I don't have any uh, reason to believe in spirituality. I mean, I believe um, in—I don't believe that a spirit or the soul is really a thing. I think it's a remnant of, of old myths, I simply don't have any uh, reason to believe in it because there is no evidence to it and uh, nothing to base that belief on.
2: You got it, and this one coming in from Neville of Reason: nobody is an atheist because of facts. They are an atheist because they do not want God to exist. AP, do you agree?
3: I completely disagree. I think um, I've always tried my best to find the truth uh, throughout my life. And uh, if I did ever believe that Islam was most definitely true, I would, again, go back to believing in Islam, despite the fact that I have very strong feelings uh, about it and have said a lot of things about it. And the same goes for uh, Christianity and for God in general. I don't believe that it is plausible to believe in it. I don't think it makes sense. I'm not convinced. And that, to me, is what belief is
2: got it and thank you very much for this question Robert Summers says why does the Christian God allow for so many different sects or denominations aren't all the wrong ones quote unquote leading people to hell Stuart
4: no to the end there one would be when his his disciples go out from him at one point Jesus that is and they see somebody who is doing miracles in Jesus name and they're all elitist about it coming back to Jesus and exclusive saying hey it's just us right and he says no he's doing it in my name too and i think that's an example of denominational differences where it's look they wanted their subgroup and they were egotistical about it but no jesus says here's another example allow that person in a different way to do miracles in my name and then i think the second answer though is there's beauties in it i'm a big fan of the black church for example for a number of different reasons so there's incredible beauties that connect culturally to how one expresses their faith. But ultimately, no, it's it's man's fault and woman's fault. We are totally broken people, and we gnaw at each other and hate each other at times and think we are right about what exactly is in a holy book or what exactly is in any type of book. And so denominations have been built off of, off of pride and disagreement
2: you got it and thank you very much for so this question coming in from robert Summers. says have you ever actually met an atheist who was an open social darwinist stewart let's remember the ninth commandment here
4: there are not many of the <laughs> it's good it's rich there are not many of those who exist today but not too long ago there were plenty
2: conservative non-believer says question for stewart once saved always saved or continually born again to be saved What's the prize for salvation? Does it simply mean you don't get tortured forever?
4: Yeah, John 10, Jesus clearly says, no one can pry them from my hand, those who are his own. And so in one sense, once saved, always saved. But then the question becomes, was that person genuine in their decision to take the step of faith? And so I, I believe that's ultimately what it comes down to. What was the end question or was that the whole thing?
2: They had said, "What's the price for salvation? Does it simply mean you avoid being tortured forever?"
4: No, the price of salvation is the Trinity, which I'm glad AP didn't grill me on, since he has Muslim roots. He probably could have if he was, you know, if he wasn't as gracious. It, the Trinity shows, based on you know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from the beginning of time, there's loving relationships. We were made for community. From the atheistic worldview, we were just somehow accidents, and we're just made for for ultimately death and demise. But I think we, we have such a strong connection to love, and it is something that I think that is beyond just materialism, that it makes, it makes sense that we're going to have those types of physical relationships in heaven. We're not going to be disembodied spirits playing harps on clouds.
3: In all honesty, I think um, I'm so sick of uh, hearing people making big assertions because of the, because of the Trinity. I think if you want to believe in the supernatural, the Trinity should be the least of your concerns.
2: <laughs> you got it. And this one coming in from Pedro HM says: If God is beyond comprehension because He is infinite, don't we don't we all won't we all be judged on a basis of ignorance?
4: Well, that's why again. That's why I went to Jesus Christ. Because I think if you rule out Jesus Christ, then whoever's asking that question is exactly right. But I don't think we're going to be judged based off of of ignorance. And yet, the the original issue that me and AP were talking about is is yes, some are exposed in, in a more type of obvious way to the gospel than others are. And yet I also do. So that's special revelation. But I also believe in general revelation, which is there are so many pieces of evidence in my mind for a God. And Paul talks about, clearly nature as well as our inner conscience of right and wrong those are two of them and so so no i, I don't think it's out of ignorance and then i brought up Acts chapter 8 the ethiopian eunuch there's many who were in cultures who were not at all connected to the christian faith at least as we knew it at that time we should and debate they, that. they eventually had exposure to it
3: we should debate that sometime that uh the natural you know the science the natural evidence to believe in god or that god is true we should debate that totally
2: That'd be awesome. Love it. Juicy. And Nephilim Free strikes again, says Friedrich Nietzsche wrote that he could not account for morality without a god and that this fact troubled him very deeply. AP, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, I think it's a little bit of 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 a misrepresentation or misunderstanding of what Nietzsche actually meant, which I cannot blame anyone for because Nietzsche wrote in very uh in a very strange uh artistic language that is often hard to understand but his point is even with the whole famous phrase god is dead his point is that humans have uh lived by a certain morality by moral standards that were established based on the the notion that there is a god who demands good and evil from us and now we have uh we are moving on from that and we have killed god god is dead what he means by that is we have uh killed this necessity and this uh, social standard, this this morality. But what he also uh, says about that is that there is no such inherent morality, no good and evil. This was an intention. It is now up to the humans, to the free spirits, to move on from that and to build a new world with uh, their own morality based on uh, human strength and all that. But that's a very complicated topic. <laughs>
2: You got it, and thank you very much for this question. Endo XD says, what about the fourth L? Namely, what if Jesus was a legend? The amount of literary techniques, stolen aspects from mystery cults, Zoroastrianism, etc., Is Jesus just another dying and rising person or savior God?
4: Well, so that gets into would-be messiahs. Within... Oh gosh, 150 years, I want to say, before Jesus's death and resurrection, there were tons of would-be messiahs, um, and all of them were, were put down by by Roman Roman, Roman soldiers ultimately, and they didn't want them getting any type of, of power, and and so they they uh, I would say they disappeared pretty quickly off the screen, uh, you, know, you know, off the scene, and then Jesus had this explosive movement. So, so, no, when it comes to legend, though, I, I think, again, you, you have to accept Jesus Christ as a historical figure, first and foremost, because there's 16 extraneous sources, whether it be the Talmud, Josephus, Tacitus, you name it, talking about him as a historical figure. And then you have the Gospels as well, which are also sources. And so, historical figure, and then on top of that, you have this accounts of all these would-be messiahs who were put down, and then all of a sudden, Jesus, very... Practical, realistic—that he did these things, and and things jumped off the page. But then you got the eyewitness testimony, the oral tradition, and then later on, the gospels that were written. And so they're too close to the to the life of Jesus to form to be legend. Again, if Dan Brown was right, and it was hundred and fifty to five hundred years after that, that, the manuscript evidence that we have that that kind of length between the actual death, resurrection, and those written, then that would be legend. But they were too close. To
2: the you answer. got it. And- Thanks very much. Robert Summer says, what is your metric that you were using to measure if the human heart is getting better or not? My bet is you say, quote unquote, look around. (laughs) Well,
4: so yeah, secular people say reason will be good enough. We can just reason our ways to to getting along together and to doing great things for this world. And I don't think that's true. I think if you put anybody in a prisoner of war camp or anybody in a tense situation, even in their own home life, Reason is not going to get you through difficult relationships, even divorce or anything like this. No, it's it's about the human heart. Is the human heart going to change or not? And no type of educational system, no type of government has been able to change the human heart. There's no way we can obviously weigh the metric of it. It's ultimately God who knows our, our hearts. And that's why I think the Christian faith makes the most sense in terms of turning over self, Holy Spirit, having impact, and then living out Jesus' ethics. That works on the human heart, unlike anything else.
2: You got it. This one coming in from Headless Chicken says, just dropping you some change, because I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much. And says, keep up the good work. Appreciate your support. And want to say all credit to the speakers who are linked in the description. And that includes in the podcast, folks. If you want to hear more from AP and Stuart, you better click on those links. mean, what are you waiting for? This one coming in from Pseudonym says, quote unquote, agreed atheist, make a lot of assumptions, unquote. According, they say uh, they're quoting the atheist. I'm confused. Do either of you understand that? uh,
3: I think that's a little bit of a... Uh, jab at me, because Stuart earlier said that when I brought up the fact that, um, or when I assert that uh, religion requires a big leap of faith, Stuart said that atheists also make uh, big leaps of faith, and I said, I agree, atheists do make a lot of leaps of faith, they also make a lot of uh, um, inferences, and I think that's what this person is referring to. yeah <laughs> gotcha.
2: all right, and then thank you very much for this question coming in from Robert Summers says, Stuart, do you know for a fact who wrote the Gospels?
4: Nobody knows for fact. I think you should read Peter S. Williams. I think he's the best on it. Uh, his most recent book is "Are the Gospels Reliable?" And I think digging into whether they were historical figures. I mean, why would why would Luke, for example, fabricate if he didn't have that type of close relationship? If he wasn't one of the disciples. Fabricate what he was writing. He was a doctor. He was an outstanding man. He's brilliant, and so. Why would they use Luke? Why wouldn't they get somebody else who was really known, who was really close to Christ, is just one example. And there's many of those. So that's why I think we can take them as, as, as who they are. There, there's no ul- ulterior motive to, for, for Luke and Mark especially to, to all of a sudden just have these names who, who people wouldn't have known. Why, why wouldn't Why wouldn't you have had Peter as a gospel writer instead?
2: You got it. And this one coming in from Robert Summer says, Stuart, do you know? Oh, we got that. Conservative non says, Can you prove Christianity is true without using the Bible as a reference? It seems if you take the Bible away, nobody would believe it. Thoughts?
4: Church fathers, second century. They had over a million quotations down. Rip away the Bible, you still have the Christian faith.
2: Next up, Contrarian 420 says, Why dost thou prate about God? Whatever. Thou sayest of him is untrue, unquote. Meister Eckhart. Any thoughts? What? Either of you?
3: <laughs> can we have that again, in contemporary
2: language? Or? Uh, I think they're saying. I can't remember <laughs> <Yeah>. what preach. <laughs> hey,
4: can AP answer this one? I'll be. I, I gotta give me one second.
2: You bet. Okay. So they say, "Why do you talk foolishly about God? Whatever you say of him is untrue." I don't okay. Know if that's for I who that. <laughs>
3: I mean, it could be for either one, it could be uh, applicable to either one, honestly. (laughs) I mean, um, yeah, even that's actually something that I say to, uh, ironically, to people who advocate for God or who are apologists of God, uh, who make a lot of uh, their personal explanations about how God judges and who God is and what he will forgive and all that. I mean, who are you to actually talk in his name and make assessments of his character and of his judgments? Uh, to me, there is no there is no god that we can define and that we can believe. So, I don't know what to do with that.
2: You got it, and thank you very much for this question. Or thanks for your super sticker from Woody, and then the Super Destroyer will get your thoughts on this as well. They say nine eleven <clears throat> was an alleged inside job.
3: Was, was it a super chat?
2: It was a statement as a super chat, correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thoughts?
3: We're supposed to have thoughts on that?
2: (laughs) You don't have to. It's okay. All right. What do you say? I mean, I I
3: think it's obviously, I think it's very absurd. I think the evidence uh, points to the contrary. I think it would be extremely absurd to believe that it was indeed an inside job, but,
2: I mean. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no worries we're back to it As Rudy Questing says in regards to Christianity spreading quickly a lot of that has to do with the adoptions of other religions and beliefs and practices Christianity is an amalgamation of other religions Stuart
4: uh, uh, hmm. way off Rudy although I like your name a lot <laughs> I think it's it's read Larry Hurtado Hurtado the best on this church historian he died from over a Marquette he talks about how Christians were, were the only faith that would that would lose everything going to other homes of people of different faiths, because they were the only faith that couldn't worship other deities. And it was socially very polite to walk into a home and say, this is my deity. I'm going to worship it in your home. And I'm also going to worship your deity. you were just supposed to do that. So the amalgamation, I don't see any evidence for that. And it, I, I think... Just based on the discussion tonight, I I think clearly there was exclusivity from the very beginning.
3: Can I add something to that, if I may? I think there is is reasonable evidence to believe that Christianity has had a lot of of influence, or that uh, pre-Christian uh, Jewish tradition has had a lot of influence from uh, regional beliefs, including from uh, dualistic Gnostic beliefs, from Zoroastrianism and others, especially in terms of the dualism between God and Satan, which uh, I think may have come from the the dualism in Zoroastrianism and in related beliefs. And I think that uh, Christianity did indeed take a lot from certain beliefs that uh, it had access to, just as Judaism before it.
2: You got it, and Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Roger Schramm says, Does Stuart believe that God stopped the sun for Joshua to finish his fight?
4: Yes. You got it, and but, but I'm not going to be blown <laughs> out of the water if that didn't happen. Because, again, the Gospels are written as history, and it's by far and far away the closest documents to our time today. As opposed to going Old Testament, which has way less evidence and credence behind it.
3: But, but, but you believe that God stopped the sun for that to happen?
4: Again, I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to pussyfoot around a little bit, if if I may. I, I because I could st- I could be a liberal Christian here and just easily kind of do a little bit of dancing. But no, I, I think I think most likely. The story of Jonah being inside the belly of a, of a fish for a little while. I think those stories were, were accurate. I, I'm open to there not being just one Adam and one Eve. I, I think there could be groups of people initially. So, no, I, yeah, I, I, if I don't have any presuppositional bias of, of just materialism and physicalism, then I don't see a, a big deal with potentially the sun having stopped.
2: Oh, and then. technically i think that there i I could be wrong about this let me know if if it was something that you were thinking of ap and maybe other people were thinking in the chat because i there's i guess two ways you could take it is that the question is getting at the issue of like whether or not god froze the day so to speak more broadly speaking or in terms of like stopping the sun in the sense that the sun is you know like if you stop the sun implying that it's moving like why does the bible state it such that God would stop the sun rather than he stopped the earth such that you know that the day stood still in terms of the lighting, for example., you, you yeah, I didn't same. want to be
3: too meticulous about about that uh, perspective. Obviously, uh, stopping the sun wouldn't do anything to the to the day. <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't want to be too particular about that, but that was indeed part of the question, a little bit of a, a funny part of the question. Um, but I was also genuinely curious as to whether you believe that that literally happened, that uh, the day. Were literally stopped for a certain event to go on until it ends.
4: Well, and that's, that's the challenge, I, obviously, Copernicus and Galileo, you're gonna have a lot who wrestled with that, and how literal to take the Old Testament in scenarios like that. And I think whenever science is connected with the Old Testament, in certain ways, you're going to absolutely at times take science and say, no, that's probably written as figurative without purposely cherry picking. And so there are many examples of, there's songs. So for example, Ezra, or for example, Miriam, in different areas of the Old Testament where the splitting of the Red Sea will happen as a historical event, and then there'll be a song about it. And you'll say, wow, this, this song is ridiculous. It's clearly metaphorical. And some will be like, ah, that's that is ridiculous, and and you're saying that's history, but no, that was a song, after the historical conversation of what happened. Uh-huh. But here, it's it's not that, and so it's harder to wrestle with one like this. But oftentimes, it is so.
3: James, before getting, uh, without getting too much off track, may I just ask a short question to Stuart, sure. just to have some knowledge of it? Uh, in Ecclesiastes, for example, the author says uh, talks about how uh, at the very beginning how. Every day, the sun runs through the sky and uh, goes down, and then it comes back again the next day, and this happens over and over again. The meaning being, like, nothing changes. Everything is just futile. But uh, so the author describes the sun traveling through the sky every day. Now, when I read this, I think... Yeah, obviously it was written by an author back then who didn't have a proper understanding of how the universe works. Do you have that same understanding? Do you uh, find it acceptable to believe that the author of Ecclesiastes may have uh, been ignorant about the scientific aspect of this? Or do you think that is not possible? He was simply being metaphorical about that or simply, you know, using his perspective.
4: I think the Joshua example is not metaphorical. I think that one is metaphorical. Okay. I think Ecclesiastes is all about you know how to deal with the ultimate existential angst and despair of life mm-hmm. when there is no eternity out there, when everything's just under the sun. Mm-hmm. And I would push Ecclesiastes up to the very first book of the Bible because it's asking those types of hard questions, kind of like we are tonight in terms of worldview kind of questions. And, and the author being, you know, Kohelet is being very honest about them. And I love that you have him as a character saying, Look, this is me for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden I started to realize, wow, if I shift my worldview here, it changes a little bit. Like Leo Tolstoy, when he went into an emotional breakdown, when he started to realize things were breaking in on him in terms of, wow, my life's not going to last forever. My books are not going to last forever. They're just going to burn. So what's it all worth? And so I think that's what he's doing there too, in terms of the sun. But that was a very long-winded answer to your good short question. That was.
3: I, I love Ecclesiastes. I just uh, I, I, I find it very pleasant to read, but then at the end, the conclusion, I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got it.
2: And this one coming well, in from yeah. Jareed Dasane says, "Has AP thought of starting an AP news service?"
3: <laughs> uh, yes I have under very under different names I have thought about that <laughs> would probably be very chaotic but uh, yeah I have thought about that but I don't think it will ever happen to be very honest
2: Juicy and Roger Sh- Roger Shrum says for the most part most religions are fed from the fear of hell they put that in all caps Stuart what are your thoughts
4: I don't know about most but I would agree with some for sure.
2: Yeah, I
3: disagree with most as well. Many religions don't have a concept of hell or of a certain afterlife where you are punished. Some religions advocate for uh, annihilation forever. That's the ultimate goal. So, yeah, not most, but definitely fear of hell plays a role in Abrahamic religion.
4: And so the weird thing about that too, though, so in my neck of the woods, George Whitfield and all these huge revivals started on the East Coast. And they were doing the Fire and Brimstone. They were doing, you know, Turner Burn. And then you even had Martin Luther, who a lot of people said he was writing all of his works basically just out of a fear of hell and death. And so the question becomes there, it could be another debate topic, which is God and judgment and the fear of hell leading you to belief in God. Is that legitimate? Because obviously we don't have too many of those. When I walk into a college campus, there's always one person who's doing that with not a single soul around him. It's always a man who's on the edge of campus telling you know everybody they're going to hell if they don't come to Christ. And it's a very interesting approach. anyway, I won't I won't go into it.
2: We should debate then. To <laughs> read the saying says Stuart's quote unquote human heart worse, unquote, equals "Quote unquote, gays? Question mark? They said sad. If so, I think they're asking like, do you think that? I think they're saying like, when you say human heart worse, that's all they put is just those three words in quotes. Are you referring to people who uh, prefer the company of the same sex? No.
4: (laughs) My communication was off tonight because I'm loving these questions that I'm getting in (laughs) terms of what I said. No, my point on the human heart was there's a lot of people who have not been Christians. So so one example is the head of the, the welfare state over in England who thought that they could fix problems with just more education. And then upon retirement, they'll say things like, wow, education didn't do it. Science didn't do it. Technology didn't do it. What is going to fix humanity? Like, how do we change humanity from the broken state that we're in? And so that's when I'm talking about the human heart. And a lot lot of those types of folks will get down to talking about something like the human heart. So that's probably what I meant by that.
2: You got it. And thank you very much for this question coming in from Contrarian 420 says, Stuart, have you examined other religions to the depth, to their depth? Before deciding on Christianity, since everyone always says they have which Hindu books have you read specifically, cover to cover? Mm.
4: I, if I had to be honest right now, I would say no. I, I have not looked at Islam or Buddhism as deeply. You know, I've read my Joseph Campbell, Inside and Out, in terms of you know, here with a thousand faces and and all those good works when it comes to religions and and how we're all just picking and choosing and and we're all you know it's different roads on their way up to the mountaintop and so so in that sense yes but in terms of many textbooks i've definitely read textbooks on buddhism i absolutely cannot tell you the authors right now but um so no it's one that plagues me in some ways i don't know why but it plagues me in some ways in the sense of i really dove in probably deeper and part of the reason why AP was talking about, you know, I was born into the Christian faith. But I think at the same time, I gave different worldviews a fair shake. One, not necessarily religion, but hedonism. I mean, what is Dave Matthews' band saying? you know Live up today for tomorrow we die, or life is short but sweet for certain. Epicure, epicureanism. I think all of that it you know, makes a lot of sense. And So I don't really need a God. I think hedonism from a worldview is pretty tintillating and, so that was the one I was kind of into.
2: Solid, yeah. <laughs> you got it in. Last one. Joel Nelson thinks your question says, if you accept the gospel as history, how come you can't answer my question about the contradiction in Matthew and Luke that I asked about? Whoa.
3: <laughs> Confrontation.
4: You see indeed, James.
2: <laughs> Can we go next?
4: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. Uh, so your contradiction was about an, an extraneous author and a gospel writer, right? Was it? it was that the Matt Delehanty question? It was
2: about the. Well, I can go back to it. I remember that it talked about in Judea at the time of. So they said, "How do you deal with Matt saying Jesus was born during Herod's rule, uh, Herod's rule, but Luke says oh. it was when Judea became part of Syria, which are events that were ten years apart."
4: Yeah. Look at Josephus. Josephus talks about this. Um, I think we, we definitely got the timeline wrong and, you know, Herod and Jesus were probably just one, one year in terms of, yeah, I, I think the four BC and the three BC is what you need to look at. And um, I'm not going to go <laughs> much deeper than that right now, but I can tell you too, I think for a lot of these contradictions, in two thousand years, Christianity has not been upended even close by one single contradiction, and there's an answer for all of them. And um, I think you also always have to keep into in, in really consideration how monks did get a good amount of stuff right, but also a good amount of stuff wrong, but not the essentials. No.
3: There's I- one thing that I have to point out. I don't. I don't want to say this, but. Uh, it it caught my attention when you said that there was no contradiction in two thousand years. You are aware that Muslims are saying the same thing, right? <laughs> yes, they are. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and they are literally saying the same thing all the time, and I have to deal with that. Like hmm. there is no single contradiction in, in the Quran. Nobody has ever proven it wrong. There is an explanation to every single thing
2: juicy and we do hope to have you back ap i know that you are looking for debates with muslim speakers or debaters and so i am looking believe me i even maybe have a lead a potential lead but more about that later but yeah i want to say i don't have much hope to be honest it is it's it's not easy you know i did a poll during the, the debate in the live chat I put, and I kind of guessed for some reason, I thought maybe some of your haters would be here AP. I, I thought maybe there'd be some Muslims who don't like AP who are here. So I put as an option, I put Christian, Atheist, Muslim, and then I lumped all the Eastern ones in together. Sorry, guys. But long story short, it was 57% Atheist. Is about 35 or so percent Christian. And then very, very small for both, actually very small for Eastern religions and zero for Muslims. There are no no Muslims in the audience? I am like I'm seriously. Oh my gosh. So I didn't expect that at all
3: to be honest.
2: I like I said, I thought at least we'd have some of your haters that follow you know, they'd follow you here, AP to give you trouble. But no, I don't But anyway, we want to say our guests are linked to the description, so you can follow them. If you've been listening tonight and you're like, I want to hear more from this person, you can follow them to their links, which are in the description box, and that includes at the podcast. So I want to encourage you folks to check out these guys. We really do appreciate them and get to know them, become friends with them. We really enjoyed them. They're awesome guys. So I want to say thank you, AP and Stuart. It's been a true pleasure having you on tonight.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was a very uh, nice conversation. It was a great pleasure to me. And I would love to come back for more debates with Stuart as well.
4: Absolutely. Thank you, James. You're you're on point as usual, and AP stretched uh, my mind for sure. Juicy. I'm glad. (laughs)